Good morning, Northridge Church family. So good to see you. Thank you for being in person in Plymouth. Of course, we have in person in Gross Eel and in person in Brighton. So glad for everybody who is gathered together in person, but also thankful for all of you who are gathered together as a part of Northridge Online. And we are, we are experiencing so many phenomenal touches of God in our ministry, and we just experienced one. Wasn't it fun seeing these people baptized? It was great. In all of our services this weekend, people being baptized, our mission is to see people wake up to Jesus, and that's going on. But, but you need to know it doesn't stop with discovering Jesus, receiving Jesus, becoming a Jesus follower. It's so important that we understand, whether you're yet on the outside seeking Jesus and his reality, if it's true for you, or you've been on the journey of following Jesus for a lifetime, you have to understand that growing in a relationship with God is not an event. Growing in a relationship with God is an adventure, a journey as with all relationships. And that's where our truth in this closing conversation on growth starts. Spiritual growth. Having a growing, deepening relationship with God, which is the idea of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a journey. It's a journey. And if we don't understand that, if we think it's an event where, hey, I've prayed I followed Jesus. I attended church. Why isn't everything better for me? It's because it's like any relationship. You have an event called a wedding. It doesn't make the marriage. It's the first step into it. It's the beginning. It's the same thing with God. And if we don't understand this, we're going to get messed up by that lack of understanding. And so just to get at the truth this weekend, look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a journey. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you, by faith, entered the relationship, you need to continue to grow in him, live in him. You know, grow deeper roots, get built up more and more. Grow in strength in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's a journey. And so the application, I think, to our lives, the way it makes sense to us and, and makes a difference in our lives here in the 21st century is kind of multiple in its nature. And let's start here. In order to grow spiritually, to keep a developing, deepening relationship with God that endures, we have to start by understanding the journey. I wish someone had sat me down with Roxanne Prior to us getting married, I was 21, she was 20. I wish someone had sat us down and said, <clears throat> you know, it's a journey. You know, here are some things about the journey you need to know I, I, that I didn't know. It would have changed everything. But we had to learn it the hard way through all these many decades. And there are many people who are getting discouraged in their relationship with God, getting defeated in their relationship with God, actually quitting on their relationship with God because they, they don't understand the journey. I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be something. I thought, man, I attend church. I should have a gold star and three wishes every week. How come that's not working? I, I thought it was supposed to be all sunshine and roses. It's not that. Why? And here at Northridge, we, we want you to know the truth. We don't want to manufacture a fairy tale that you'll buy and be disappointed with. We want you to know the truth. And the spiritual life is a journey, and you have to understand what it involves. If you don't understand the journey, you're going to be tripped up, overwhelmed, overcome, and discouraged and defeated simply because you're being surprised by something that's normal. You need to understand the journey. And I'm going to do it in a unique language this weekend that maybe can help 
refresh your idea, refresh your understanding, inform you in a different way. I'm going to use the idea of seasons in order to communicate what the journey involves. And I mean, come on, as human beings, we know about seasons. Well, here in Michigan, we have two, right? Uh, winter and summer, and it usually happens every other day all year long, right? It's like crazy, but in most of the world, there are four, so I thought I would just share four seasonal ideas to help you to understand the journey. So the seasons and unique language, and you need to know, I'm borrowing from Ken Blanchard. If you've ever read The One Minute Manager, that was Ken Blanchard, and he wrote a book called Situational Leadership, and he wasn't even a believer yet. He has since become a believer, but, but the pictures that he paints of situational leadership are perfect pictures for understanding the seasons of the spiritual journey. So I'm borrowing from him. The first is this, the season of being an enthusiastic beginner. That's where it starts. And it's a fun time. That's where the enthusiasm comes from. Beginning is often fun. I, I remember when I got married, I was the quintessential enthusiastic beginner when I got married. I'm all about it. But, it, you know, that's just the beginning season. There's so much more that I didn't understand. And in the Bible, God kind of communicates to us the nature of the journey, and he does it very often, not just through teaching and words, but through the example of lives. And there's a guy in the Bible, his name's John Mark. We know him mostly by the name Mark because he actually has a book that he wrote called Mark, second book of the New Testament. It's a gospel. But he shows us the nature. Over the course of time, God gives us a picture of his life, and he shows us the many seasons. And he started as an enthusiastic beginner. Look at Acts chapter 12. I'll read one verse, verse 25, and then jump to chapter 13 and read another verse, verse 5. When Barnabas and Saul, two of the great heroes of the faith, imagine getting to work with them and know them. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. He got to walk with, learn from, work with these two heroes of the faith. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. There he was at the beginning of his spiritual journey with them, an enthusiastic beginner. He's helping them. He's working with them. He's going with them. He's leaving home, and he's traveling with them. It was great. But then he enters the second season of the spiritual journey. He became a disillusioned learner. Anyone who's been married more than the honeymoon, knows about this season. And by the way, married, I've been married 41 years. It's the most precious, meaningful, valuable relationship on the planet. In fact, it's probably the most valuable thing in my life other than Jesus. But let, thank you. I don't have to get her cards and flowers now. I did it uh, right here on the platform. But here... Here's the thing, when, when we got married, I was an enthusiastic beginner, but then I made, and I don't know if any of you have been married, but those of you who have, I made some discoveries along the way about marriage. She wasn't just about my dreams, she had dreams too. She wasn't just on my agenda, she had an agenda too. In fact, she came into this marriage, I never knew this when I was an enthusiastic beginner, she came into this marriage knowing all of my faults and thinking she could fix me. When she tried to fix me, I became a disillusioned learner. When I wouldn't be fixed, she became a disillusioned learner. That's kind of how that went. But you get the idea. Any relationship, it begins in a very different way than experience. But if you don't go through this season you'll never experience the fullness of what the relationship can offer. And this is where so many quit. As a pastor for so many years, thousands have been enthusiastic beginners, and then when they got disillusioned, they quit. You just need to know, I've been following Jesus almost five decades. And I have had so many seasons of being a disillusioned learner, you can't even comprehend it. 
But I wouldn't trade those seasons for what I've gotten in my relationship with God by going through them and not quitting, not being destroyed by them. I just want to encourage you, without this season, you'll never experience the fullness of God, and so many turn away here. Don't be one of those many. The disillusioned learner, this happened to John Mark. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 13, from Paphos. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And just so you know, from that one sentence, you wouldn't know this, but I'm going to read another passage, and you'll get it. He deserted them. He turncoated on them. He betrayed them. He left in the middle of his responsibilities. He quit. He'd gone from, I get to serve with Barnabas and Saul, to realizing it's not all it was made out to be. It, was, it comes with all kinds of discouraging, challenging things. And so he quit. And that's where so many are. Don't feel bad about getting to the place where you're disillusioned and you feel like quitting. Just don't do it. Stay in the game. And then John Mark shows us another season. He became an uncertain performer. And I have to tell you, this has really been one of my primary seasons, uncertain performer, where you go through the enthusiastic beginner stage and then you have discoveries and face challenges and learn and you become a disillusioned learner. But then you start coming out of it and you start realizing, okay, I think I can, I think I can, oh, I failed again, oh, I think I can, I think I can. And what happens is you become a person that starts seeing Jesus' work in you, even though you still see a lot of yourself. You know what I'm saying? And this is a good place to be in the sense that without humility of knowing that you can't, you'll never have the motivation to depend on him, he who can. And so this is a great place of faith to be. And I'll show you John Mark. Look at Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 40. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go back around the same mission work that we had before. And Barnabas, it says, wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. So he must have gone through the disillusioned learner stage. He quit, but then he came back, and he, he was starting to become this uncertain performer and showing signs that made Barnabas want to take him back. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul was saying, okay, yeah, failure's not final, but we're going to count on him for a work he already failed us in? I don't think he's there yet, the uncertain part. But Barnabas is saying, yeah, but he's, he's stepping forward. He's back with us. He's a performer. And they had such a sharp disagreement with, about this, it says, that Barnabas and Paul split company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and went on. And Can I just give you a little, this is a freebie. God can take the worst of circumstances and do unbelievably good things through them. This is human conflict. This is human division. This is a relationship gone bad here. Paul and Barnabas. Happens to all of us, doesn't it? But what did God do? God took it from one team to two teams traveling the world to tell the world about Jesus. God uses these things. Trust him. And so Mark was this uncertain performer. Barnabas believed enough in his recovery that he staked his ministry on it. Paul wasn't there yet. Uncertain performer. I've been the pastor here 30 years, and there are still some people who look at me and say, we're not sure about you yet. And it usually comes after I throw down a word on the platform that you go, no, <laughs> can't take that back. Anyway, all right. And then... The last season, confident achiever. I love this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4.11. Knowing that Paul split up his ministry with Barnabas because he didn't want Mark to be part of it. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Now, there's a person who's gone on a journey. Paul says, this guy that I didn't want 
on my ministry team, I now want you to bring because he's unbelievably profitable in my ministry. Do you see, all of us go through all of these seasons, but we shouldn't be broken by the seasons. We should let God make us through the seasons so that we can take the whole journey of spiritual growth. But I also want you to be aware that this isn't linear. You experience this once, this once, this once, and then you stay here. That's not how this works. Because every single day of life is a new challenge. About a year ago, year and a half ago, when this pandemic hit, I'd been pastoring this church already 29 years at the time it hit. But I became a beginner at how to lead a church through a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic. And by the way, I, I was a beginner. I had no clue. Still have no clue, really. Doing the best I can, you know. And then I... Um, And I, I really, I, I appreciate that, but seriously, I mean, what does a beginner do? I mean, they're beginners. And then I, I, through that season, have become a disillusioned learner at times because it's like, you know, everybody has different ideas and, you know, I don't know why, but they love to express them to me. <laughs> you know, just a thought. Still getting letters. It's like, you shut it down too fast, you kept close. It's like, I get it. It's, we're all in different places. And I don't claim to have all the wisdom. I do claim this. God called me to be a shepherd, and I'm going to, with his wisdom, be the best shepherd I can be. And I mean, deal with it. I mean, it's like, but I went through this period. And then, you know, and now I'm this uncertain performer. You know, it's like I was out here in our community time on the patio, which you're going to have after this service, just today, after the first service. And, you know, I'm going around doing the best I can. And trying to set an example, trying to make everybody feel comfortable and not anybody feel uncomfortable wherever they're at in the spectrum. And let me tell you, Michigan has a spectrum. We're all on the spectrum. Let me just tell you that. And I, so I, some person had a real heartfelt story to say, hey, and he stood up and said, oh, man, I've been wanting to talk to you. Are you shaking hands? I said, look, I'm not in this setting probably because I just don't want to set the wrong example, make people, the next person, scared of me. All that stuff, it's weird. And so I'm doing the best I can, right? And so I didn't shake his hand. He's cool. And he tells me this heartfelt story. And then I turn away from him. Another person comes up and says, hey! And it's like, what am I going to do? Punch him? I mean, I don't know what to do. So I go, hi. Ugh. Now this person's leaving the church because I wouldn't shake his hand, but I'll shake another guy's hand. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm kidding about that. But that, isn't it weird? I, you're doing the best you can. So you, you go through, I'm the uncertain performer. I don't know if I'm doing right. And... I hope I never become the confident achiever in this pandemic. I hope it just goes away, you know, but that's a whole different thing. So here's the deal. But we're all in this cycle. And I, I want to share with you that these seasons are defined by certain elements, just like, you know, winter is defined by the, the way the sun shines down. And, you know, and I don't know why God loves Florida and Hawaii and the Caribbean more than us, but I mean, during the winter kind of does. And so, but different elements create different seasons, the same in our spiritual life. Are you all with me okay? Uh, okay, that's great. So what are the elements of these seasons? There are three elements. The first is the level of capability, which means it's the level of knowledge, the level of experience, the level of understanding, the lo level of wisdom, the level of skill acquired at a certain time in your spiritual life an enthusiastic beginner. My capability as a husband when I first got married was really low. When I first started following Jesus, I had no clue. I just knew I wanted him. I needed him. And then there's a level of confidence. You know, when I became a husband, why was I an enthusiastic beginner? Because I thought Roxanne was the luckiest woman on earth. I had a high level of confidence. She has slowly beat it out of me. But it's like, it's, it's, it, and I deserved it to be beaten out of me, trust me. But it's like, you know what I mean? I was an enthusiastic beginner. So low capability, high confidence. This deals with ability, skill, knowledge, experience. This deals with attitude. And then level of challenge. You know, when I, when I first became a husband, I, it was like, this is easy. You say, I do, and then the fun begins. You know, that was, I was 21. Give me a break. And it's like, but 
then I realized, ooh, no, this is when the work begins, you know, and you had to start growing a skill base, and my confidence then went low, and then the level of challenge. Can I just tell you why, after 41 years, Roxanne and I have, in our relationship with each other, the greatest treasure of a lifetime? It's because we've gone through a mountain of challenges together. We've gone through the seasons together, and huge challenges show how little capability we have and really wreck our confidence. And, but when we're faithful to our commitments and character to each other, um, it grows us. So these are the elements of the seasons. Uh, let me give you an example other than marriage. Not all of us are married, married obviously. And think about it in terms of the, the journey to climb Mount Everest. I mean, the most difficult climb, as far as I know, on the planet. It takes a level of capability to climb Mount Everest that is only owned by a couple of people on the planet. Very few people. But wait a minute, I climbed the hill in my backyard. Good, not good enough. Well, wait a minute, I climbed, you know, I, I climbed, you know, a couple thousand feet out in Colorado, you know, good, but probably not enough. And there are a bunch of people, multitudes of people who have hit base camp who've never climbed the summit because they can't even handle base camp. And so they go from enthusiastic beginners to disillusioned learners and understanding that they're not ready for it. And those that don't understand they're not ready for it, many of them have gone up and died. It's really tough. The level of challenge changes everything. And this is how it is in the spiritual life. Can I, can I remind you? Mount Everest is a great big mountain. But God is bigger than Mount Everest. And if we're going to walk with him and know with him, know him and be in relationship with him, it is going to challenge us and our capability and our confidence in a way that will go through these seasons time and time again. And if you're not ready to go through the seasons, you'll never have the privilege of experiencing the summit of a relationship with God. The question is, what do you want? If you just want a little bit of God, you'll never get any of God because God doesn't come in little bits. But if you want all there is of God, then you have to be ready for the adventure and journey of a lifetime. And is it worth it? Oh my gosh, the fulfillment that comes with it. It's worth it, but you have to be willing to endure it, to move through it. And so as you go through these different levels. This is what changes the season. You have a high level, low level of capability and a high level of confidence. You're an enthusiastic beginner. Then you learn the difficulty of the challenge in front of you and it lowers your, your understanding of your capability and it lowers your enthusiasm. You become a disillusioned learner because the challenge is so big. And, and then you start growing in your knowledge and your wisdom and your skill and, and you start meeting challenges in a different way and it starts growing your confidence and you become an uncertain performer and then as it really starts skilling and the challenge remains the same, you start becoming a confident achiever and then you know what God does? Listen, then do you know what God does? He changes the challenge. Now the goal is always to become like Jesus. But when I'm facing a certain challenge in life, I start becoming a confident achiever. I'm going, I'm looking like Jesus all of a sudden. And so God says, oops, <laughs> no. I'll change the challenge so you'll see how little like Jesus you look. And then I go through the seasons again. If you don't understand this, you'll never, ever, ever be able to fully experience this relationship with God. But there's more to just understanding this. Then you have to go to the second aspect of the application. In order to grow spiritually, yes, you have to understand the journey, but you then have to identify your immediate need. In other words, where you're at in the journey. And you can say, I've been a Christian 30 years. I'm that confident achiever. The only way you've been a Christian 30 years and you're a confident achiever is if you've never moved to the next challenge. Because I can't claim to be a confident achiever. I've already explained it. Every new challenge takes me to these seasons again of growth 
And I don't know about you, I never want to stop growing in my relationship with God until the day I stop breathing because God is the treasure of this planet and where fullness comes from. And you need to choose that too. So where are you at in your need? What's, what's the season right now? And you say, well, how do I figure that out? Well, I'll just give you a couple of questions that I've developed for me. You can make it more complex for you, but I, I ask questions. Do I have a problem with my present capability? This is what's been reshaping me for the last year and a half. You know, I, I was ready to lead the church where it was a year and a half ago. I wasn't ready to lead the church into this whole new world. And so I had to realize, you know what, I, do, I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge base. I don't have the skill set. I, I need to grow. And so I had to figure that out. And if your goal is to climb Mount Everest, you know, um, and you climb your back hill and you're out of breath and rolling on the ground and going, oh my gosh, I can't climb this hill, you, you're realizing your capability is not good enough for Mount Everest. So what do you do? You train. And that's exactly what you do spiritually. Too many Christians want God to come on the easy. God doesn't come on the easy. No great relationship comes on the easy. It only comes with the sacrifice of going through the difficult. What you do is train. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training, you know, training for Everest and that kind of thing, it's of some value. But godliness is worth training for because it has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so if we find this lacking, we have to train ourselves. Where are you lacking in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God? Train yourself to be godly. Let others help train you to be godly. Another question I would ask then, because this helps determine the season I am in, do I have a problem with my present confidence? And this is a big one because, I mean, if, if I lose confidence, it's tough to make any kind of decision at all. In my role as a leader at Northridge, if, if I don't have at least a level of confidence, when I get letters, you know, filleting me for decisions I'm making, if I don't have a level of confidence, who am I going to play to? I'm going to play to the people attacking me. And so all you have to do is attack me, and I'll lead that way, and I'll lead this way, and I'll lead that way, and, you know, that's, that's not a leader, that's a follower. But you have to have some confidence to do that. Same thing in following Jesus. What if a family member comes and says, you're praying too much, and you're doing this, and you're giving to the church, you're doing these things. What, so if you don't have a level of confidence, what are you going to do? You're going to play to them. You're going to surrender to them. You'll quit. Do you have a problem in your present confidence? And here's where you need to get. I, had a, I was walking with a person last night, just after the last night's service of this weekend. And this person said, you know, God, sometimes, I was asking them how they were doing, and this person said, you know, they say God will never give you more than you can handle. But I'm, I'm really questioning whether or not that's true said that to me last night. And I said, first of all, that's not in the Bible. Show me where that's in the Bible. That's like cleanliness is next to godliness. Grandma said it, but Jesus never did. You know, I mean, come on. You got to know it's in the Bible. And so I said, hmm, yeah, no, that's not right. The truth is, Every challenge God gives us is beyond anything we can handle. But every challenge God gives us, Jesus can handle with no problem at all. The question is, who are we trusting in? And so my confidence, look at what do you do? 2 Corinthians 3, 4 and 5. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Wait, such confidence as this, the kind that we need to meet the challenges of life 
in conformity with Jesus Christ. Where does that confidence come from? Well, I've attended church for three years now. I'm able. No, you're not. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. And then I love this. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. The truth is, this has to be from Christ or it's no good at all. And that's the danger point. And this has happened to me so many times in my spiritual life where I start to get the capabilities to meet the new challenge and my confidence starts growing and I start functioning in a pretty successful pattern in that way and, and my confidence really starts growing. But very often, if I'm not careful, my confidence grows in the wrong way. I start becoming confident in my ability. Well, I really can lead this church. Haven't been fired yet, you know? I can teach at this level. Look at that. In fact, and this can happen to me, I can walk off a platform and I say, I don't think in the history of humanity a talk has been given that was better than that one just now. You know, I mean, you can start developing this confidence in your ability. And you know what happens? That's when you crash because your confidence is in that which can't meet the next challenge. And just so you know, I'm not alone. Some of you are looking at him, man, he is carnal. He shouldn't be the pastor of this church. Well, then David shouldn't have been the king of Israel because he kind of blew it too. Why? Because his confidence started going in the wrong place. Oh, and Peter maybe shouldn't have been an apostle because he betrayed Jesus three times. He told people, he told Jesus, I love you more than all these guys. Talk about a guy who had some unbelievable confidence. But he betrayed Jesus. Why? Because his confidence was in the wrong place. And every time my confidence is put in the wrong place on myself instead of Jesus, I blow it, don't you? And of course, I blame God at first. Proverbs say this. They say, you know, we make choices that lead to our own disaster and then we rage against God. <laughs> it's like, you got to be kidding me. But that's what we do. So I have to say, where's my president confidence? And this is twofold. Is it really low Then I'm not putting my faith in Jesus enough? Is it really high in myself Then I'm not putting my faith in Jesus enough? Where's your confidence? And finally, I have to ask this question. Do I have a problem with my present challenge. And every time my challenge changes, I have to, I have to realize I do, because it's new. Can I, can I tell you, this is from the heart of a pastor. Um, the biggest problem in most churches around the world is that they're meeting every new challenge in the same way they met yesterday's challenge. And that's just not how it works. God wants us singing new songs, taking new steps in our trust in him. And so we have to know the challenge. And this is where a lot of people dump God out of their lives. Well, I, I've been praying and I've been getting, going to church. I've been serving, been doing this all these years. And look at what's happened to me. Well, Jesus died on the cross, was beaten and then nailed and died. You gone that far yet? It's kind of the, the Messiah. Paul was thrown in prison and killed for a teacher. You been there yet? Peter the same, crucified upside down, they say. You been there yet? No. But what, what you're just unwilling to do is you... you you're facing every challenge the way it was before, and when God gives you a new challenge, you just say, forget it. Well, what you're saying forget it to is the fullness of a relationship with God that you're longing for. And so when difficulties come, I mean, look what James tells us to do in verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials, challenges of all these variety of kinds, consider it joy. Why? Because here's what you can know. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, character, knowledge, wisdom, experience, 
capability of a different kind. And let perseverance finish its work so that you can become mature and complete, not lacking in anything, so you can become a confident achiever. We have to realize that this is what lies behind so much of the trouble and difficulty we experience in life. God is seeking to expand our capabilities. And what do we do? We chuck and run. And I just feel like as a pastor, I have to tell you the truth. You'll only get as far in your relationship with God as you're willing to trust Him and find your confidence in Him no matter what you're experiencing. You dump Him, you lose. Don't dump Him. And that leads me to the final point of application, really. In order to grow spiritually, we have to understand the journey. We have to then identify where we're at in the journey, what our immediate need is. And then we have to surround ourselves with the right people at the right time. I need to tell you this. Christianity is not an individual sport. And yet we live in a culture that celebrates individualism. And so many of us are trying to become like Jesus individually, which is why we don't connect with groups and we don't, you know, connect with other people in community and why we don't find people who can mentor us and shape us and help us to grow and answer our questions because I can do it alone. But no, you can't. You can't do it alone. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion who chooses to walk with fools suffers harm. This is what Mark did to walk through the seasons. Mark experienced Barnabas. Barnabas means the son of encouragement. He walked with Barnabas when he was young because what did this quitter need? An encourager. What did this uncertain performer need? An encourager. But then he needed new challenges. He needed to grow. And so then who in the end of his ministry was he with? Paul, challenging him anew. And so this is what we have to do. We need to answer the question, do I need an encourager to inspire me like Barnabas? Is my confidence low? Is my dependence on Christ low? Is my capability low? Maybe I need an encourager around me all the time. Or maybe I need a new challenge to grow because I'm getting pretty stale and stagnant. Well, then maybe I need an exhorter to challenge me like Paul. But this I can tell you, you need someone in your life to build you up. And this is where the problem is. We like hanging out with people of kind. So do you know who enthusiastic beginners hang out with? Other uh, enthusiastic beginners. This is easy. This is great. This is awesome. Yeah! A bunch of blind leading the blind. Look at it. It's great to be an enthusiastic beginner, but make sure you just don't do life with all enthusiastic beginners. You're all going to jump off the mountain at the same time and splat at the same time. But what's even worse is that disillusioned learners all hang out with each other. This is where everyone likes a little wine with their cheese. Because all they do is wine together. Oh my gosh, I thought the promises of God were this, and I thought the promises of God were that, but boy, this is going on, and the pandemic, and job, and wife, and husband, and kids, and that pastor. He closed the church. That pastor, he opened the church. Oh my gosh. And what they do is they disillusion each other to death. And here's what happens. They share their disillusionment till everyone is in despair and quit. And they want to go someplace else where they can be an enthusiastic beginner again. That's not the way to grow. That's the way to stay diminished in your life. We have to go through the seasons or we'll never benefit from them. You need to get... With, if. If you're an Eeyore, please find a Winnie the Pooh. That's as deep as I get. One Eeyore is enough for any community, right? And if you're an Eeyore, we love you, but please don't create a group of Eeyores. I don't know about this church. That talk doesn't sound right to me. He's not patting me on the butt and making me feel better about life. It's like, oh my gosh. Get with the right people at the right time, and it's your choice. Who are you with? What's your need? Where are you at?
right now. And just so you know, it's so easy in a church like this to find the right people at the right time. Northridge is such a large community. God's given us so many of the right people from every generation to surround ourselves with here at Northridge. And I just wanted to give you an example. I could have hundreds of examples, thousands. But I just wanted to give you one example just to show you there are the right people here for you at the right time who've gone through the seasons and can be an encouragement. And you usually find them when you serve. Did you know that? When you step into service. I want to introduce you to the Nagalski family. The Nagalski family has been here since God created the earth. Uh, no, okay, maybe not that long, but they've been here a very long time, um, since before I was the pastor, except the kids who have been born since I've been the pastor. And they've gone through these seasons so many times here, and yet what are they still doing? Faithfully serving more like Jesus today than ever. They're the kind of people you want to be with. Let me just introduce you to them really quickly. Mary is Tracy's mom, Jim's mother-in-law. Mary Ball is her name, and we're highlighting her in color now. And by the way, as a person whose mother-in-law would have never hugged my arm and leaned on me like that, it says something about Jim Nagalski. What a guy. But uh, on to the next. Mary started serving in our church kitchen, which we now would call a cafe, in 1979. And she's still serving here now as a part of our nursery ministry. And you can see pictures of Mary closer to the present where she's serving. Tracy, uh, Mary's daughter, started volunteering in the nursery of this church back in 1979, long before we were in Plymouth, and she is now the Ridge Kids staff lead for our nursery ministry and faithfully gone through these seasons. Tracy met Jim in college and career department, which we had at the time, it's now young adults, college and career department in this ministry in 1980. And they began dating in 1981 and married in 1985. It's weird. Back then, this is how it worked. You began dating, got engaged, you got married. I don't know. Things have been turned upside down these days, but just a thought. Uh, it's kind of worked this way for them. But Jim came into this ministry and found faith as a kid riding a bus to Sunday school in the day. And he began serving in 1978 in the first to sixth grade. And here's the group in 1993. And now you see Jim in color. And then he's still serving in Ridge Kids these days in the fourth and fifth grade. And then their kids have been so influenced by this. Kate, which you now see in color behind me, is currently on staff in the front office leading out our whole, you know, front office adventure. And she grew up in this church and has volunteered since she was a young girl. You can see her here working with kids as a young girl. She served in the prison ministry. She's gone on global outreach trips. She actually was a part of our cafe ministry, and she built our baking team. Can't wait till post-pandemic and we can have our cafes back open. But she built our baking team, and you know what she called it? Baking the world up to Jesus. And I thought that was a great name. Uh, and then Evan her younger brother, and this isn't the whole Nagalski family. These are just people who are still here at Northridge serving faithfully going forward. They have many other faithful family members in other places. But Evan began serving in student ministry, and you can see him there, and then started serving on the worship team, and to this day is the acoustic guitar player. He was on the platform last week serving. And here's my only point. This is one family in thousands of families whom we can connect with so we walk with wise instead of with fools. We can have people to encourage us when we're disillusioned and help us move forward. Connect with the right people. And I think it'd be important before I move on that we celebrate this family and all of our volunteers. Would you do that? So many people serve here faithfully to the Nagowskis. It's fantastic. All right. Here's how we'll finish. Let me give you some action steps, and then we're going to go out and do community. Here's the first action step. You need to figure out your season. What season are you in? Because if you don't figure out your season, what are you going to do about it? And while you're figuring out your season, maybe talking to God a little bit about that, those of you who know Jesus, I just want to say something to those of you who've yet to meet Jesus. You've not experienced 
him changing your life. This is your moment. For me, life began when I met Jesus. It doesn't end then. That's when the relationship begins, but it began when I met him, and the same's going to be true for you. And just before I finish out this conversation and we go to community, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And I just want to encourage you to take my words in this prayer and make them yours if you're wanting to open your life to Jesus. Just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I, I've blown it. I have sinned. I carry so much guilt, shame, failure. But I know you died on the cross to forgive me. And so by faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe you rose again to give me new life. And so by faith, I'm asking for new life in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, it's the beginning. And we'd love to give you ideas about next steps you can take. Just text to the number on your screens and send us that one-word message, Northridge, the name of our church, and we'll send you some materials that can help you move forward. But once you figure out your season, then you need to begin working on your area of greatest need. What is it? If it's your confidence level, then you need to start moving your confidence from self or from circumstances or from churches or from people to Jesus. You need to work on it. If it's capability, the same. If it's the challenge, then work on it. And finally, action step. Get around the right people. Get around the right people. Too many people who come to Northridge are in no people-centric community. We have women's ministry, men's ministry, groups, rooted. It's a beginning group, starting points, a beginning thing. We've got, I mean, you name it, you can get involved. Young adults, students, get around the right people. And we want you to start this weekend, which is why we're doing the community thing. We here in Plymouth have this whole new patio. At our other campuses, we have gathering places as well. But for those of you who are in person, it's literally expanding my heart double size, seeing people out using this place that God has given us. And, and I just, you'll meet the right people, but you'll have a great time. And add to that, there's ice cream. So here's the thing. Usually, I wouldn't recommend ice cream. Um, I, I usually wouldn't. I know it's not the most healthy thing in all the world and all that, but this ice cream is different because we have prayed over it and we know it won't hurt you at all. It's awesome. Uh, I had a guy tell me that last night alone, he ate five and he didn't die last night. So it's like the prayer has been working, but whether you eat ice cream or not, go out and do community, enjoy each other because this isn't an individual's gathering place. This is a church family and we'd love you to connect with each other as a family. I'm proud to be your pastor. I'm proud that you're here online or in person can't wait to see what God has for us if we move into the future. Let's do it growing. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.